Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Say it now week ends tonight. It's that time of the week again. Time to celebrate a great sporting life on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Today we celebrate the life of a great of the game. A triple premiership player, a triple All-Australian. He did it all for a couple of clubs and in itself, that's a good story. He's achieved a lot in the game of football. His name is Russell Green and he's with me in the studio. Russ, welcome. Good to see you. Great to be here, Peter. You're looking well. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to get up every morning and uh, walk around. And uh, there's a lot of blokes my age who probably aren't as fortunate, but just every day is um, a fantastic day, Pete. Fitness was always a big thing for you, though, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I worked um, when I was at St Kilda, I wasn't quite as fit as I should have been. And when I came across to Hawthorne, I just noticed the, the calibre of uh, the level of the fitness of the, the Hawthorne fellas was just um, outstanding. So I was behind the eight ball then, and then I realised I had to uh, kind of make a few adjustment, adjustments, uh, dietary uh, and fluid intake and so forth. And by doing that, that, and also putting a lot more out there on the track, that I was able to turn things around. We're going to talk about your illustrious career over the next hour or so, but uh, are you a hawk or are you a saint? Well, a lot of people ask me that question, Pete. Um, I love St Kilda. I I kind of make the analogy of uh, St Kilda being an old girlfriend uh, who you still like and respect, Uh, but I'm married to the Hawthorne Footy Club, so yeah, absolutely Hawthorne. Do you watch much footy these days, Russ? Yeah, I I work at a high-needs school in Cranbourne, Pete, and um, each weekend, uh, a lady friend of mine, Anne, and I take up to 20 kids to a football match. or a yeah, So I see lots of AFL uh, or NRL or the netball competition, the national competition. So each weekend, um, we're out and about. Yeah, I see heaps and heaps of footy. So tell us about working at a high-needs school. I guess you're, you're talking about autistic kids, that sort yeah, of thing. Down syndrome. It, it must with... be very challenging, but it must also be really rewarding. Absolutely. The people who work in that industry, uh, teachers have got a hard enough job as it is, but to work with uh, the high-needs uh, children, who, are, who I might say, must say are absolutely fantastic young kids, um, it's very, very challenging uh, every day I jump in the car, Pete, I just think to myself, you know, I've got three healthy children. My grandkids are healthy. My wife, Roxy's healthy. My parents, I mean, Roxy's parents are still alive. Um, but some, some parents have three autistic kids. And, um, it, you know, I just, when I first started it, Pete, you know, I'd say hello to everybody. And a lot of the parents would just go, hmm. And then I realised that, yeah, I mean, how would I feel if I had... Um, burden's probably not the right word, but to have that responsibility day in and day. And when they come home from school, you know, you've still got that responsibility to, to look after them. So with the program that Anne and I run, we're, we're able to uh, give these kids something. Cranbourne's a third-generation welfare situation predominantly, and for them to get out uh, to see... AFL at its at its best. Um, NRL, the Melbourne Storm have been fantastic with our kids uh, 
Jerry Ryan from um, Jayco, he organises stuff for our kids to go to, all sorts of things. And uh, Molly Meldrum's a, a, a patron of our school. There's so many generous people out there, Pete, who, who give up their time to make their, um, these kids' lives a, a little bit better. Um, and also we've got a lot of um, very generous people out there who now allow Anne and I to take parents out for dinner. Um, we'll pick them up, um, drive them there. They can have a three-course meal and a few drinks. And we'll, uh, if they need, we'll, we'll give them a lift home. And uh, if they want to catch the train, that, that, that's up to them. So life for me is um, – re- I was at Melbourne Grammar for 30 years. I had a fantastic time there. But where I am now, I, I know I'm making a little bit of a difference. There's something about the look on the faces of young people, that unbridled joy that they have when they meet their idols that must be reward in itself for you when you see that sort of thing. Oh, Pete, it's, 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 it's nearly impossible to describe. Um, yeah, there's, there's so many young children who we've, I must say, the AFL clubs, we, we take all of our kids and support, who support, say, Melbourne or Carlton or Collingwood, uh, out to training at least once a year and they get to meet their idols. They have photos taken with them. Um, and I must say the AFL coaches, um, Alan Richardson, um, Luke Beveridge, Nathan Buckley, Alistair Clark, all of them, uh, the Melbourne base, and I'm sure the interstate coaches are the same. They understand the situation and they just, uh, I, I can't speak highly enough of those fellas, players and coaches, the way in which they really put a smile on these kids' faces. We, we kind of say, people say, what do you do, Greeny? I say, look, I'll put sunshine on kids' faces. Mm. And that's and put smiles on their faces. And uh, to see them, uh, and they get a little, and the lady I work with makes a little booklet for them of all the photos that they've been able to have during the course of the year. And it's uh, extremely rewarding. And speaking of children, Russ, you've actually got to do a lot of work with your daughter um, in causes that are pretty dear to your heart over the years. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely, Pete. Well, Angie's got a a non-for-profit charity called Stand Up Events, and it's geared to stamping out homophobia and transphobia in sport and life in general. Um, Angie had her brother come out to her when she was uh, 13, and she also lost uh, four close male friends by the time she was 24. So she has started up this charity and it's, it's doing an absolute amazing job. Uh, she's got uh, AFL players who go out and talk to young men and women and about the importance of inappropriate behaviours and inappropriate language and the effect that it has. Um, yeah, so she's doing, she just got back from New Zealand. She did a talk over there. Uh, she, yeah, she's a mate. She's completely and utterly dedicated to making this world a better place. It can be a very traumatic time, I guess, for the young man or woman who comes out, but also for their family as well, because it's, it's departure from the norm. It's departure from what you would normally have expected, uh, life to be. It can be a difficult time for everybody associated with it. Oh, absolutely. Well, I just reflect on, you know, when I was growing up, I mean, we, we were just sheep. We used to call ourselves, you know, your mates, these inappropriate words all yeah. the time. And you didn't really think about it. Um, and you didn't realise the damage that it actually did. Um, and I'm sure um, I've been responsible for a lot of people's grief. 
not just me, but my friends. But we we didn't, and that was the hard part, Pete. When my son came out to me, um, I just went up to his bedroom one morning, and he, he said, "Dad," I, I said to Brett, "All you wanted to tell me last night is that you were gay." He said, "Yes, Dad," and I started crying, and he's gone. That that's why I didn't want to upset you. I didn't want to tell you. I said, "Mate, I'm crying for my past." Um, the stuff that I have said in the past to other people, I'm also um, in this situation now is because um, I wasn't there to help you when you had those dark mood swings. And when we used to go out prior to the vote for the um, equality, Peter, the uh, marriage equality vote, um, I would preach, not preach, I would stress to the people who were in in the audience that... um, Talk to your kids. I mean, if if your son or daughter has mood swings, don't sweep it under the table like I did. Ask me, are you okay? Is everything Mm. all right? And initially they might say, yeah, 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 Dad, I'm fine. But eventually and hopefully they will open up to you and talk to you um, because they just need – although it has got better, Pete, from um, when we were young fellas, it's still – and it's – I hear it occasionally at at school with the kids, but nowhere near as much as I I used to. And if I do hear it, I will grab the group, come in and say, why did you say that? Do you realise, do you understand what you are saying? And they'll go, oh, yeah, it's just a word. I said, no, it's not a word. It is – you've got 15, 20 kids sitting around. We're having a chat now. Uh, On the law of averages, two or three might be LGBTI uh, in that grouping. And they're laughing with you, but inside you're really ripping their hearts out. So you've got to be really, really um, careful of what you and how you approach things in the way in which you speak to people. And that's why Angie's uh, charity is so important, Pete, because it's a ripple effect. You go out and talk. Um, kids will go home and speak to mum and dad. Mum and dad will speak to other people, blah, blah, blah. And it, it's a ripple effect. And the, the more we get out there, uh, the better it's going to be for our society. And you're happy the message is getting through? Yes. It's, um, look, um, small steps, Pete. As I mentioned before, it's a lot better than when you and I were were young. I'm older than you, but when we were young fellas, I still think it's in in the change rooms. Mm. Um, That's why my son Brent didn't go into team sports, because it was rife. Uh, We've got a lot to talk about in this hour, but I want to talk about your great footy career. Take us all the way back to when you were a kid growing up, and your appetite for football. Who did you barrack for as a kid? When I was a um, young fella, Peter was a mad Collingwood supporter. Good if, taste, very good if, taste. If I used to, if I used to see uh, three magpies together, it was um, Len Thompson, uh, Wayne Richardson, Des Tudnam, or Barry Price, <laughs> or I knew all their numbers. Or, yeah, I was addicted. My brother Mark, who played seven games for St Kilda, was Essendon. So at the end of our streak, before it became a freeway. Uh, it was an uh, empty block and we'd just go out there and play our little scratch matches and, yeah, it was amazing. Absolutely infatuated with footy and I just used to think footy the whole time, breathe it. I was just absolutely engrossed in it. I went to, in 1973, went to St Kilda. I was placed on, in those days they had supplementary lists. I was placed on the supplementary list and then in 1974, I was elevated to the senior list. So 1974, it all started. Played my first game against Renato Serafini, number mm-hmm. four from Fitzroy. And you were 16, weren't you? 
16, nearly 17, yeah, yeah, so 16 and 10 months or something like that. Was that too early? In hindsight, do you think it was too early? Or could that sort of thing, that was okay in those days, that this scrawny little kid would be out there playing amongst the men? Yeah, well, it's when you think back, you know, um, you know, I I teach with kids who are 16 and yeah. you're kind of going, well, look, it's, it's, it's fully professional now. They're, they're groomed all the way through their representative sides and they go to their under-18 TAC competition. So they know what's ready, what's about to happen. Next few years, you know, we Alan Jeans left. Ross Smith came on. We finished last. Then Mike Patterson came on. How was that? <laughs> well, when I first met Michael, we were at Graham Huggins' place. I had a fairly big night the night before. And I'm laying in on Graham's grass. Sun was beaming down. It was beautiful, just relaxing. And I get a kick in the ribs. And I look up. I thought it was one of the boys saying, come on, you better get up. The coach is coming. Because it was a meet and greet, the coach. So I look up. And also it was the big swamp fox, Michael Patterson, with his finger, nearly touched me on the nose. I'm looking up. And I'm going. And he said, I've heard about you. So I thought things didn't start that well then. So... <laughs> I kind of got off the the rails, and it was all my fault. My fault, absolutely, completely my fault. 1980, Mike uh, was sacked after three or four games, and the great Alex Jezelinko came on board. And then I got the sack, and I ended up at, at Hawthorne. So, Russ, this seems incredible. The middle of 1980, one minute you're a St Kilda player, the next minute you're off to the Hawks. How did that all transpire? Well, Don Scott was responsible for it. And which I found out later, um, he, they were in match committee and a few names were thrown up. All the other match committee apparently said no, but Don said, I've met Russell before. Um, let's give him a chance. So that's, I've only just recently found that out. So uh, I thank Don every day for that because uh, he did be <laughs> a huge player, but uh, a huge um, favour. So we played Geelong round eight, 1980. I'm still a St Kilda player. Played Geelong, uh, Mickey Turner and I played. In those days, Pete, you played on each other. You mm. didn't have 15 different opponents. <laughs> you didn't come off and have a little rest and then come back on. It was endurance-based. And if you had speed, it was which I didn't have, but if you had speed, it was a bonus. So um, played down at Geelong. We got flogged. Then I trained all week, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, under Alex Jezelenko. Um, I think you got named in the team, didn't you? Yes, I was, I was selected to play. Uh, we were playing... Footscray at Moorabbin, so I'm picked to play. So I'll jump in the car at Linton Street, in Linton Street, drive home, which is about six or seven minutes to my place. Um, my wife, Roxy, greets me at the door and said, you can't go for a walk with, with your dog, Bear. Um, Don Scott's ringing back. I was, well, Don, what do you mean, Don Scott? Who's Don Scott? She said, well, you know, he, he says he's from the Hawthorne Football Club. I said, well, yeah, that's the Don Scott who I know, but why would he be ringing me? Anyway, I, I hung around for 10 minutes. He rang back and virtually just, oh, Don Scott here. Be down at Moorabbin tomorrow. Ian Drake will be there with your boots. You're now a Hawthorne player. I'm going, what? You're kidding, aren't you? So anyway, that's, that's how it happened. But the following morning before I went um, to collect my boots, Peter, um, Carl Dittrich rang, who was back at Melbourne as a coach. Mm. Carl came back to St Kilda for 78, I think, and um, had returned to Melbourne. And he said, Greeny, don't do anything. Um, I'll be in touch. They obviously got wind that it was happening. and I never heard back from Carl. Uh, so I picked my boots up and um, 
I became a, a, a bloke called Tony Ferrugi came and picked uh, yes. picked me up and but it nearly didn't happen because I had my Rottweiler bear out the front and he wouldn't let Ferrugi in. And those... <laughs> well, the Rottweiler was probably bigger than Ferrugi because he was only a little fella. Yeah, well, he's a pull through for a shotgun. He's a very, very slight, <laughs> a lovely fella. So eventually I walked past the window and saw all the commotion so I went out there. And fortunately, I think we, we just got there in time to sign the papers. So I was now a, a Hawthorne player. Um, what was that experience like? You, all of a sudden, you're in a team where you don't know the blokes. You don't know what their game plan is. How did that all work out? Well, well let's go back to when we were at school. You know, when you're a little kid. I mean, you're in, you're at a class. You've been there right through prep up to grade six, and then all of a sudden you're uprooted and you move to another school and you walk into and there's just all these new faces and you just go, oh god. But um, I vividly remember um, Roxy and I drove out to Waverley where, where we park. A car pulled up on my left and a car pulled up on my right with the players' parking area. And we all got out at the one time. It was Steve and Nick on my left, who was the best man at our wedding six weeks prior. Mm. We always used to speak on the phone prior to a game, being good mates and that. And I actually said to him, um, I'll probably see you sooner than later. He didn't pick up on it. Obviously, you wouldn't expect <laughs> that. And... On the right was Lee Matthews, and Lee wasn't captain at that stage, so he wasn't at at the match committee. It was only captain and the match committee, which was Don Scott. So we look at each other, and I said, I'm with him. So he goes, God, um, this is unbelievable. So then I walked down. I actually said to someone, mate, you're at the wrong ground or something like that, and he's going, oh, what's going on here? So anyway, Roxy and I, um, Maury Plant, who you, you know well, and a p- fellow called Paul McMahon, Good mates of mine, we went and sat at um, in our in, not actually in the enclosure because I didn't I felt really uncomfortable. So right, we're just sitting there, and in those days you only had to be in an hour prior to the game, whereas now I think it's about six hours before the game. Um, so I'm just sitting there looking at the clock. So I make my way down, so onto the ground and walk up the race. And as, as I'm walking up the race, I'm going, "This is just this can't sure it can't be happening." So then I walk into the rooms and they obviously knew I was about to come in and I forget who it was. Maybe it was Tony Ferrugia who gave me the jumper and, um, and that was it. And uh, it was we, 29 again? 29. Yeah. I was, yeah. Um, there was a fellow called Brett Lees uh, who wore 29, but I think Brett um, maybe went back to the old Zavs or something. And um, so 29 was av- available and vividly remember – the game, um, I got a message from the runner, from Norm, Normie Lord, and um, David Parkin was, uh, so I'm on the half forward flank, and Norm comes out and goes, we don't do that here at Hawthorne, and still, those words are ringing my ears, even today, and I'm going, I'm thinking, I can't answer back, and I'm going, what, what have I done wrong? I obviously let the halfback flank and run up the ground, set up a goal or yeah. something. Um, I re- the other recollections of the game is that we were about six goals down at three-quarter time, kicking into the wind at the Dandenong end of the ground. Uh, as you know, Pete, in those days, um, you only come off if you've got a broken leg. or mm-hmm. um, And even then you might not. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So that, I remember it was Chris Mew's first game as well. Now, Chris came onto the wind. Now, we all know what a huge player, five-time premiership player, multiple Victorian or Australian, fantastic player. He's come onto the wing. He's had 14 kicks in the last quarter and kept kicking it down to Matthews, Moncrief. We got done by five points. 
I remember that he's 14 possessions because that's what I had in three, four quarters. Mm. Um, I struggled big time. And after the game, walked out, uh, met Roxy, and uh, she said, oh, fantastic. You only got done by five points. Great comeback. Um, I've been used to getting thumped by 100 yeah. points. Collingwood once 178 points out of Victoria Park. And um, I said, you wouldn't believe it. They're in there crying. I mean, they're really, really upset. That's when I realised that I was in a, a different place. And um, from that day onward, um, things just started to um, – Ron Cook coming up to me. Now, Ron wasn't in the meeting when they when I was uh, discussed whether to come across. He was the president. President always apparently went with match committee. Um, and the match committee didn't want me, Don Scott, and he, he put his hand up. Um, so Trevor Coote, sorry, he was he was the proxy for for Ron, and so Trevor went with the playing side of it of the match committee. Ron Cook came up to me. We we're in the players' room after at, at, down at uh, Linda Crescent, and he's come up to me. I've never met him before. And he he looked at me. He said, "Good day, Russell. Glad you're here. My name's Ron Cook. I'm the president of this place. But I've got to tell you, Russell, if I wasn't in hospital, you wouldn't be here." Shook my hand and walked away. And I'm going, jeez, that's a sledgehammer. <laughs> so I really realized that uh, there was no nonsense. Uh, the honesty was, you couldn't ask for any more honest um, yeah. appraisal than that. And the other thing that really um, sits heavily, not heavily on me, but Alan Jeans, when he came across, Pete, uh, at the end of 1980, Jeans, he sat me down. He said, how do you reckon you went, mate? I said, yeah, yeah, fantastic. I, I played 14 games with, with the Hawks. It was, I didn't get dropped. I was in the team every week. He said, well, listen, son, called everybody, son. It's like this. I've gone to 14 different people at the club who I trust and respect. One of them had you on the bench. Just one of them. Does that say something to you, son? He was the first psychologist I've ever ever mm. encountered, Pete, and um, so a little switch uh, was switched on in my my small brain, and from that day on, I thought, well, for me to be able to become a consistent player in this outfit, um, and I didn't know Langford was coming, I didn't know Breeden was coming, um, Bucky was already there, Andy Collins was coming, Pritchard. Uh, Mew had just started, um, and it was just a building of a huge wave. And um, Richard Loveridge, I could just sense that something really special was going to happen. And I knew that I had to make a number of sacrifices to be able to to compete for, for um, positions in the side. Well, it might have been an inauspicious start, Russ, but things were about to get a whole lot better, and we'll explore that when we come back on the other side of the break. Hope you're enjoying this edition this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives with Russell Green. Back with more with Russ after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Say it now week ends tonight. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Say it now week ends tonight. Hope you're enjoying the chat with Russell Green, the three-time All-Australian, three-time Premiership player on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. That is right, isn't it? Three All-Australians. Yes, Pete. I was very fortunate to be able to be three-time All-Australian. Yes, and we'll talk about that. Well, first of all, the first one came in 83, 
and that was a watershed year for Hawthorne because things were building a little bit. When you first got there, it was slow. I think you played 14 games in that first half season. You only won four, but then the momentum was growing. And all of a sudden in 83, great year personally, great year for the team. Yeah, 83, as you mentioned, Peter, uh, Yabby came across in 81 and things started to, to build. I think we had to win the last game of the year to make the finals. We had to rely on somebody to lose. And, and I think it was Scotty's, Don Scott's last uh, game as a Hawthorne player. I remember that vividly. Um, 82, we finished third to, mm. to Carlton. We were eliminated uh, in the preliminary final. Um, they went on to beat Richmond, which we had beaten twice during the course of the year. So obviously we're now competing with the big boys. Uh, 83, um, personally I thought, oh, you know, what else, what extra can we, can I do to help um, uh, make myself a more consistent player and to, to benefit the team? So down my in-laws, Frank and Gene Sedgman, have a place down at Phillip Island and I vividly remember... Uh, New Year's Eve, I uh, had a drink uh, with Roxy and a few friends. A lot of the Hawthorne boys used to go down there, and that was it. I thought, um, as Yabby always used to say, the best form of discipline is a self-imposed form. So I thought, I'm going to give this up. I'm going to really watch what I eat and so forth and give myself the best possible chance of uh, improving as a player. We played Essendon in the grand final, and they it was four consecutive games for them to get there. It was uh, a fantastic performance by Sheedy and Terry Danaher and those boys. Was it hard not to get ahead of yourself when you're 10 goals up at halftime? Do you start thinking well, ahead then? We were just instilled into us by Yabby that one contest at a time, mm. don't... We, didn't even look at the scoreboard. You know, you, you had a feeling that we look. Obviously, we knew that we were well ahead. But I mean, I've I've been in sides where teams have kicked seven and eight goals in, in ten minutes. I possibly probably at the twenty minute mark of the last quarter thought, yeah, this is yeah. Surely they can't kick ten in in ten minutes. And um, we, we were just as yeah, we always used to say, you know. The team that wins the most positions makes the least number of mistakes generally wins. And we, we had every player contributed. We didn't make many mistakes. And at the end of the day, when Lee, he knew that I'd been off the grog all year and um, he's passed the cup to me. And it was, I know for a fact, it was, uh, we had a, a wedding. It was Bodega. I would have preferred soda water, but um, Barney passed the cup to me and I had a sip. And I, oh, geez, that was a bit rough. But um, I only, I reckon I had probably two or three drinks that night because um, the, the thing that I really remember really a lot was, Pete, was uh, just the emotional bang. Thank God we've won it. Yeah. Um, just fortunate got over the line. It was just, and I just sat back and I had about two or three beers that night because I, I was physically, emotionally, completely and utterly drained. Mm. And as it turns out, Russ, it was the start of an incredible rivalry between Hawthorne and Essendon, one that continues to this day, but it would go for three grand finals. Ahead to 84, do you think 84 personally was your best year? Really easy, Pete, playing in a team that every player in that 84 team was either a state of origin player or an all-Australian player multiple times. So you just go through each line and it was just, you could afford, if I say, up back, take off and take a punt, which you can't do now because of the way it's all structured, you, you knew that you had cover from behind. My performance was highlighted by those around me. 
um, if I had done that, what I did that year in a lesser side, I could have been caught out a hundred times, and then all of a sudden my uh, input into the game is is being chipped away at. So I, I put all of my success success down to the blokes who I who I played with. If I had won six premierships, I mean that would have been absolutely fantastic. But to experience defeat at the highest level, it, it's it's heartbreaking and it really makes you appreciate the ones that, that you've won. Let's fast forward 12 months then. Hawthorne and Essendon again in the grand final. What's worse, losing with a last quarter onslaught like it was in 84 or just being thumped as it was in 85? There was the all-in brawl in 85. That was about as close as you got to them. You pick up your radio and it's three-quarter time or halfway of that particular grand final. Oh, Brenton's kicked nine. You would have gone, geez, the Hawks have, have done it again. Yeah. But Dermot was outstanding that day, kicking nine. Uh, look, we, we were just shell-shocked. They, um, they whacked us all year. If I believe if Footscray had got through, I think Footscray had maybe beaten them once or twice during yeah. the, They might have. But Essen were by far the superior side that year, and full credit to them. Um, they were an amazing combination. Fantastic players all over. Essen players were very fortunate like we were. We we play for our coach. Mm. I mean, we, if you lost, you, you felt as though you're letting down. And I, I'm sure the Essendon boys were exactly the same with Sheeds. And it was another All-Australian year for you too. Great feather in your cap. Any All-Australian is a great feather in your cap. But when you win three All-Australians in a row, that's something. <laughs> As I said before, I was very fortunate to be... Oh, I think uh, it's yeah. more than that. I think you're being very modest. Yeah. Oh, no, I know. Look, I, I have um very proud of that fact. And uh, I'm very um, happy that you, um, you're you the first person in 30 years who <laughs> have got all three in the one, one sitting. So I, I appreciate that. So at that stage, it was three grand finals, but just one time holding up the cup. But things were about to get a whole lot better. And we'll talk about that when we come back on the other side of the break. Russell Green's great career, his grand final experiences are about to continue. You'll find out on the other side of the break on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Say it now week ends tonight. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Say it now week ends tonight. We're continuing on the grand final journey and the great football journey of Russell Green on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Live. So as we mentioned going into the break, Russ, the Premiership in 83, heartbreak at the last minute 84, not so good in 85. 86 was just around the corner, four in a row, and that was a much better day. It was a much better year, Pete. Um, but for me, it was kind of mixed emotions because we played Essendon out at Windy Hill with probably about round 16 or 17 and I was playing on Alan Ezard after the first four goals he kicked on me Alan Jeans at about the 10 minute mark of the first quarter <laughs> Jeans he said oh you better have a rest son so for the next six weeks it was the first time I dropped and I had to do my penance and I can quite honestly say I have never been more driven to get back into the side um, but each week Pete, um, I think 80, that was the last loss, that, the last loss that we had. And each week the seniors went whack, 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 because you build the momentum. It was a huge wave and the momentum was uh, enormous. 
and I, I'm playing the twos, getting whacked, and um, I've never really whacked anybody in my life. And Mickey Roberts, who's a good friend of our, mm-hmm. um, Roxy and I, who was at St Kilda with me, he's tagging me out at Waverley. It's about two degrees. I'm in the seconds. I'm not getting a kick, and uh, for some reason, I've I've whacked him, and we're both dropped to the ground, and he's we're like spoons. He's cuddling me, so he's knocked out. His head's hit me. I'm knocked out. I've got stitches all over the place. They stitched me up. Didn't go back on. I thought, oh, I can't get any worse than this. But anyway, I was determined to at least do as much as I could to get back into the side. So week after week, they're just going whack. Um, the seniors are doing really, really well. Fortunately, the second final, the second week of the finals, I was able to get back in. And we played Carlton in the grand final. And Harmsey used to love playing against uh, up back against with Bruce Dool. Didn't like isolation. So my role was to drag Harmsey all over the place to, to experience it again, particularly after maybe should have won it 84 and then getting absolutely trounced in 85. Mm. It was fantastic. It definitely worked. There's no doubt about that. So you've played in four grand finals. You're two and two. 87, what happens? You make it again. And I think from memory, it was the hottest grand final day on record. But I remember looking at Tucky at half time. He's got a, a short sleeve on. That's how hot it was, Pete. He had a short sleeve on. And the steam just pouring off everybody was um, just – and look, Carlton, as I mentioned before, 84 and 85 really spurred us on to 86. Mm. And I'm sure the loss in 86 to them uh, really spurred them on. And look, they uh, – early on, um, the Dominator and a couple of other blokes took out Tucky and Dipper or – uh, so they're really on a mission, and to the credit that they won the game, they um, they thoroughly deserved it. And then once again, um, we're on the receiving end. And but one thing I forgot to mention, Pete, about that eighty-five you asked me, yeah. which was um, demoralised, the most demoralising. Um, I've answered that for you. But the one thing I vividly remember, um, we've come in, and you can imagine two in a row beaten, thumped by seventy-eight points the second time. And Alan Jean said to me, uh, oh, not to me individually, but collectively, the sun comes up tomorrow. And that's what we worked on. And it did come up. So we had, once again, we had to retrace our steps. After the 86, we lose 87 and the sun comes up. And I know you probably will, I'm preempting this question. Now, Alan Jean's, I went and saw him prior to his aneurysm on the Thursday night. Mm. Um, I was very fortunate to have that association with him at St Kilda. And he was more of a, a really good mate, um, as well as a coach, highly respected in both areas. I was probably apologising for my performance on, on, on that particular Saturday. Fast forward a few weeks, uh, damage mode at Hawthorne, and Alan Joyce is, yeah. uh, he is the coach. So, and the senior players that we had there, um, you know, Tucky was amazing, you know, Dermot, Dunstall, Dipper, I mean, just so many, Mew, Langford on every line. And it was just... Very first night of training, I could just there's something a little bit different about this. This mm. is this is this is on. I mean, we're we're up, we're up for redemption here. Do you have time to smell the roses in a grand final, or is it as you said in '83? Is it only in the last ten minutes that you can start thinking about that? Yeah. Well, my personal opinion, Pete, is that at the ten minute mark, when I looked up, and we're hundred points up. I'm going, yeah, we're, this is in. You probably bank. got this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You never know when you're going to be out there. That was my last game. Yeah, that was my only regret. In footy, I mean, I've had a few regrets, but I would have loved to have known that 
Greeny, this is it. Um, your swans. I mean, I wouldn't have done anything silly or stupid, but because they are so special, the two teams are going to experience it this year. It'll be etched in their memory forever, their family's memory forever. In one way, very fortunate to actually be involved. I um, had stress fractures early in the year. I missed four or five games and I was leading up to my 300th game. I tear a calf, I'll be out for another two, come back, tear it again. And I knew that um, we were on a mission. By the time the grand final came around, I was as fit as I could possibly, possibly be. And as I said, even um, Thursday night, I had no idea that I'd be playing because it could have been two or three of us who won by 96 points in the end. Robbie Dixon, uh, another fella uh, who unfortunately is no longer with us, a fantastic young man, he could have got the nod. I, in a lot of ways, um, people ask me which is the most special, but all have got different uh, different meanings for me. So... As it turns out, as we put a full stop on your playing career, 304 games, three premierships, you didn't know that it was your last game, but it wasn't a bad way to go out, as it turns out. No, absolutely. Um, To play on the biggest stage, um, to be in arguably, along with the the Melbourne teams of the 40s and 50s, I think we would be, even though the Hawks have won a... Three in a row um, last, I think if you play, so it was 83, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, missed 91, 91. I think that um, we're all very spoiled. We're just about there, but we've got one little segment to come. We'll talk about your son, who continued the family name at mm-hmm. AFL level. And there's another thing I want to ask you about. I want to ask you about the Sydney Olympics in 2000, because I think you might have a story to tell there. Russell Green is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives, our final segment coming up after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Say it now week ends tonight. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Say it now week ends tonight. Our final segment on what has been a fascinating chat with the great Russell Green on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. You would have been pretty proud of what Stephen was able to do. It wasn't a long career, but he still made his mark. Yeah, absolutely. Peter, for, you, for your son to go and play with the club that you you played for and support um, was amazing. And there's one thing Roxy so often would say to me, hey, because if he got dropped or he wasn't picked, you know, it's not your career. It's his career. Just let him live it and breathe it his way. But as a, as a player, um, you go through all those emotions, wondering whether you're going to get picked or you're going to be dropped. Or So I was just um, rehashing all those emotions that I had. Look, I'm so proud of him. 42-day uh, games and he played nine uh, night games. Um, extremely proud of him. Um, he gave everything. Um and absolutely, he still loves the Hawthorne Club unconditionally. Um, his uh, two children are all Hawthorne supporters. Yeah, Stephen has enormous courage. Um, it was hard for him because following like a father who'd been there for a number of years and was yeah. lucky enough to be involved in the, the good times. Um, Is that st- a big burden to carry a famous name at a football club? Well, um, I wouldn't say I was famous, but... 300 games, yeah, three yeah. all Australians. I understand where you're coming from, Pete. But, yeah, I think it was because Stephen, you know, 
would do his because they didn't have as many rotations as, as they do now. So if Stephen was rotated, you run and, and there would be some derogatory type terms placed in his direction. Uh, you're not as blah blah blah, all that type of stuff, and mm. and you know that that hurts. I mean, he's, he's given every young man who goes out and woman who goes out and plays footy, they they give their best. I mean, he's took it all on the chin, and it's made him a stronger person. He's in business now with his company Jagged. Now, just finally, I mentioned this before the break. You had a great football career, all of the wonderful things you did. But Sydney 2000 Olympics, I think you had a front row seat, didn't you? Absolutely. Uh, Pete, it was, How did you um, manage that? Well, there's a, a very generous fellow called... Um, Gary Fenton? Gary, yeah, no, I was, I was Gary Fenton, uh, a great family friend, his wife Marie, and their kids are good friends of our children. Um, he asked me to be his driver for the 2000 Olympics. Um, I said, Gary, what do you mean driver? He said, oh, you just pick me up and drop me off and do all this type of stuff. I said, yeah, okay. And for those people who don't know, Gary was in charge of Channel 7's Channel 7, yeah, broadcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was running it, um, setting up at the, uh, in the International broad- Broadcasting, whatever The, the IBC, called. yeah. The IBC, yeah. And he had to wait to Manolo, his boss, came yes. in. So Gary was in charge of it. So he, he's the main man um, until Manolo arrived. So I'm there about eight weeks prior, learning all the roads and, and so forth, being a driver. Uh, accommodation, he looked after us unbelievably. Um, but also I had this thing called um, a gold pass, like key to the city. When Michelle Ford won her backstroke uh, um, final, um, we've, we're, we're on the landing. And Gary just said, well, come with me, come with me. And, I mean, obviously we weren't, we weren't in camera shot, but we were – I mean, just to experience what what he Gary Fenton did for for me and my family was just, uh, and he's one of the world's. I'll mention this, and if he ever hears this, he'll understand what I'm saying. He's he's a real one, so I'll explain to you what that means later. But he's an absolute. But it was to see the great great athletes of the world in one place at one time competing, um, t- to watch Kathy Freeman win that gold medal with mm-hmm. my family. Once again, Gary really looked after us with ticket prices for that. Um, it was absolutely amazing. And it etched in my mind forever. It was just a, Australia uh, should be so proud to be able to put on such a huge – I know you've been involved in many of them, uh, Peter, but it's uh, for someone who's never experienced something like that, that's where my phrase um, Christmas, even Christmas Day came from. from yeah, so, so describe that again. What, what was the feeling like every day? Well, I, say, I said to um, – Gary, what's it like? You know, you've been to so many Olympics. He said, Russell, it doesn't change. I want you to reflect on when you were a little kid, about six and seven, and you believed in Father Christmas. It's like that. Every, every night you go to bed, it's like Christmas Eve. And when you wake up, it is like Christmas Day because what you're about to see and explore is just absolutely unmeasurable. It is just, you can't buy it. It's just, it's something. And I, I, I kept the diary and I've still got that home and I reflect on it. And I remember the very first, I was in Kent Street. Gary's grabbed me. He said, go for a drive up George Street. I go, yeah, okay. Took me about four hours to get back. He said, you've got to pick me up tomorrow at 7.30. I said, no worries, Gary. Oh, no, no, you've got to come to dinner tonight at 7.30. I've never driven over the, uh, over the, over the, the bridge before. The, so I didn't realise there's these concrete petitions. And I had to be in, say, lane number two mm. to be able to get off to Mosman because Gary lived in a very nice area. Um, so I was on number four. So about two and a half hours later, <laughs> I rolled up. He said, mate, where have you been? I said, oh, mate, I couldn't get off. I'm sorry. 
So the following uh, morning, Pete, was my first day, official day. Um, I'm in bed, didn't sleep all night. I'm thinking I'm going to get lost here again. So from Kent Street to where Gary's place, Marie's place in Mosman was about probably 20, 30 minutes. I got there an hour and a half early. <laughs> and Gary knows I was an hour and a half early because he's got security all around his place. And people, you got a, got a driver out the front in a card. <laughs> So yeah, it was amazing. Pete, you've you've experienced, I've experienced it. Yeah. Is, uh, as I said, uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day all rolled up in one. I think it's a good way to describe it, and it's a good way to end our chat with indelible sports memories in Sydney 2000. But you provided so many indelible memories in your great footballing career. It's been a pleasure to sit down for the last hour or so and relive some of them. Thanks, Russ. Thank you so much, Pete. Thank you very much. Russell Green joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Another great of the game coming up same time next week. Hope you can join us then. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.